So Money Episode 574, Wendy Sachs, author of Fearless and Free. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. So excited to have you join us today. If you're on the cusp of making a transition in your career or dream of one day making a shift, but aren't sure how to make the most of it, Today's guest is full of priceless advice. Wendy Sachs is the author of the new book, Fearless and Free, How Smart Women Pivot and Relaunch Their Careers, But Men, the advice is also solid for you. My Oh! The Oprah Magazine family calls her book a title to pick up now. We're living in an era of professional reinvention and women in particular, Wendy says, are seeking new ways to stay relevant, be fulfilled, and make an impact. How can we transition without trepidation? How to traverse the roadblocks and dance with the fears that we harbor about failure? Wendy is an Emmy award-winning TV news producer, and she's worked on NBC's Dateline, Fox, and CNN. She was also a Capitol Hill press secretary and PR executive. Stay tuned as we talk about her own personal experiences, pivoting so much in her career. She jokes that she's constantly pirouetting, sometimes out of choice, but other times out of necessity. She's been fired twice and is constantly working on her ability to thrive financially in this evolving media world. Here's Wendy. Wendy Sachs. Wendy Sachs, welcome to So Money. Going to share with us all about how to be fearless and free in this career market. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I feel like it's such an opportune time to be talking to you on Equal Pay Day. It is Equal Pay Day. This will air later, but I was going, you, you beat me to that comment. I, gonna... <laughs> I realized we were speaking on this, on this very important day that, of course, you know, speaks to all of us women. Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting time, Wendy. You know, we have a new president. Um, it's Equal Pay Day. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we have made some advances, but not where we'd like to be as far as pay and promotion in the workplace. So tell us where your book fits in, in the context of everything that's happening in the world and and how it's going to help women, particularly women. My book is really tapping into so many of the relevant themes that I think are affecting all of us right now. And it's interesting that you you just framed it as what's happening in a post-Trump time period. And, you know, we are seeing women organizing and mobilizing and tapping into this new wave of feminism in a way that we haven't seen in decades. Um, so I think it's really this critical juncture that we're on. And not that my book is political because it's not, um, although I do mention the double bind that women in leadership face. And I point out Hillary Clinton during the election and, um, you know, the the extra struggles that women in power seem to face, uh, which, you know, goes without saying they are real. Um, And then I also talk about the importance of women's, the power of female networks and lifting each other together and amplifying each other's voices and the whole new solidarity and sisterhood that I'm really seeing 
not just me, of course, but other people too, that there's there's something happening right now in our culture where women are really trying to organize and take care of each other. And I'm not just talking about it in a political sense or in a cultural sense, but also in a career sense. And this is definitely a transition from when I was coming up. You know, I'm not a millennial, I'm a solid Gen Xer, and we didn't have the same networks available to us, probably because we didn't have so many women at the top. And we weren't really raising each other up, not to say that it was super aggressive in a cat fight and we were clawing all e- over each other trying to you know, move up the ladder, but there were fewer spaces at the top. And I think what we're seeing today are more women coming together, knowing that we need to bring each other together, lift each other up and pay it forward. Um, so I think that speaks to the, the sort of what's happening culturally um, and also understanding that in the workforce, we need, we, you know, things are still needing to change, right? We're having this equal payday. Why? Because we're still not getting paid what we need to be getting paid. And uh, that also speaks, that is like, that is like a message that is so close and near and dear to my heart. I read an article a few years ago for CNN um, say, calling it, giving it up for free and feeling like so much of my career, I have definitely sacrificed my own um, my own income, basically because out of lack of confidence that I was going to get paid what I wanted to get paid, uh, and for a whole host of reasons that I think a lot of women can relate to. Yes. And in Fearless and Free, your new book, you specifically tackle what to do when you feel stuck in your career. Do you feel like women feel this way more than men? I do, you know, and I don't, I, I hate to sort of put a gender thing on, on all of these issues because obviously, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't believe that women have any less ability or any less ambition or any less talent clearly than men, but there are some cultural issues that really affect us and that hold us back. And one of that is one of those things that you know, this isn't just my my own feelings. This is studies really reflect this that women are not as willing to take risks as men are. And that lack and that fear of risk taking is one of the issues that can really hold women back. We tend to also overthink our next moves. We can become paralyzed because we're just overthinking. We don't want to fail. We want to be perfect. We've been conditioned to be perfect. And with that, so a cousin to, you know, to uh, risk taking obviously is failure. You know, if you take risks, you know, you may fail. And so because of that, because of that wanting to get it right and wanting to be perfect, um, women often just don't take a leap forward unless they they are convinced that they're going to get it right. And that is sadly what can hold us back. And that is one of the big issues that I talk about. Yet fear and and fear of risk-taking is really just a mindset, right? When you think about the risks potentially of leaving your job, trying a new thing, you might fail. Sure. You may not know how to secure health insurance. Yep. You may not get paid for a few months, definitely. Uh, But then there's also the risk of staying in the quote-unquote comfortable job where the next day you could get laid off. And that's happened to me and several people that I know. And so uh, in your book, you interview a number of women who have pivoted and have fought that fear, have taken on the new challenge despite the quote-unquote risks. So what was their mindset around pivoting that allowed them to jump these hurdles and to ultimately succeed? Well, I think that 
the biggest way to sort of grow that confidence is to take risks. And once you fail and you know you can recover from failure, you're you're more likely to take more chances. So I think really the key to all of this is to putting yourself, you have to put yourself out there, whether it's taking baby steps, but you have to take some action. And so the fastest way that all the studies show that grow this confidence and this ability to take a bet on yourself, basically, is to start just moving forward and knowing that, yeah, if things don't work out, they often don't, right? But that's part of the journey. And out of that comes more confidence and a greater ability to take action. It's all about taking action. You just have to start moving forward and putting that fear aside. And and I use this expression, get comfortable in the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this isn't a, a Navy, this isn't something I came up with. It's actually, you know, this great term that the Navy SEALs actually embrace because it's very much you know, key to their mission. You have to get comfortable in the uncomfortable. And as you're saying, it's a mindset. We can all do this for ourselves. We just need to start taking some action and understand that, yeah, it might feel a little uncomfortable for a while. And that's actually a great place to be. That's where the growth is going to happen. Right. There's a strong correlation between being outside your comfort zone and ultimately, I think, feeling fulfilled in life. I think it's Tony Robbins who says that, you know, the more comfortable you are, and that's very human nature of humans. I mean, we like, we like the, the comfort in things that are predictable and routine. That said, it also can keep you stuck and not moving forward. So that's a, that's an important point to make. Earlier, you mentioned also the importance of women connecting with other women. And we're already doing that now. There's this new sort of um, era of mobilization that's happening amongst women. If you're young and you're starting out in your career and you're seeking those female mentors, how do you do it appropriately and successfully? I know you talk a lot about using other people's time wisely in your book and making sure that, you know, that there's a reciprocity. So how do, how do young people get mentors and leaders? You know, I think this is a million dollar question because there has been so much focus on mentorship and sponsorship, right? And the sponsors, just to be clear, as I'm sure your listeners mm-hmm. you know, may or may not know, but that mentor is someone who's going to really give you advice in your career and, and some direction and potentially hooking you up with you know other people down the road to connect you career-wise. That sponsor is the person who's really sort of placing a bet on you and is really going to use her own capital to help lift you up. So there's been a bit of a transition of the idea that women really need more sponsorship in the workforce, more sponsors to take that bet on them and to really pull them up, you know, to, to help really raise them rather than just a mentor who's acting as the fairy godmother handing out advice. Um, so, but, you know, here, so here's the thing. I think for young women starting out, they really do need to put themselves in situations where they can be networking. And there are so many different industry events to go to. So it's not about just finding one person to say, or two people, two women to say, will you be my mentor? In fact, I just got an email from from overseas. A, a woman in, in England, in the UK, had sent me a note saying, will you be my mentor? And I thought it was actually very endearing. But the reality is, how is that really going to work, right? I mean, I could I could give her some career advice, but you know, I I don't really know what that relationship is. I think in many ways that mentorship feels very heavy for a lot of people. Um, they're not really sure how to, and, and on the part of the person asking for a mentor, you know, what does that really look like? 
So my advice is really to cast a very wide net, to put yourself in situations where you're meeting a lot of different people all of the time and even pushing outside your boundaries a little bit, looking for events that, you know, in industries that overlap with your own. So you're just constantly coming in contact with different people and creating relationships because what women are so good at, we're really great connectors. You know, even networking even that term networking to a lot of women is just not very appealing. It feels very inauthentic. It feels, you know, very aggressive. But in fact, women are such great connectors and relationship builders. So if we even reframe that in our minds, that we're looking to build these longer lasting relationships with women who maybe are peers or are more senior than we are, that's a great place to be. And it's building that that network of of women who I think that can be the most influential and the most helpful with your career. Let's get personal. Wendy, you know, you are an Emmy award-winning TV news producer. You've worked for everywhere, you know, every place from Dateline to CNN, Fox. Talk about your own pivot and your own transition and what maybe you learned from your own experience that you're now sharing with other, other women. Sure. Well, I mean, I've been saying that I've pivoted so much on parawetting. I mean, I've had to switch it up <laughs> so many times. And I'll be honest, this was not all intentional. I've been fired, you know, a couple of times. And, you know, I, I'm going to call it what it is. You know, you could, people say they're laid off. Companies what were you fired for? I've been fired for being too expensive. I was told at the last, um, when I was working at a digital media company, literally they were told me they could hire three people for my salary. This happened the week that I, a whole new team who I had hired started, they decided to let me go. Um, I was fired another time because they lost the budget for the campaign that they were working on. I mean, you could say I was laid off, but, you know, essentially I, I was fired. I lost my job. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. you know, as Jill Abramson from The New York Times, who was famously kicked to the curb a couple of years ago, she said, I don't even want to put lipstick on it. I'm going to call it for what it is. <laughs> and I think I think there is something to just owning the fact that people lose their jobs, Um you know, and it's often not because you're not doing a good job, but there's a whole other host of reasons. Uh, you know, a true reorganization, there's no longer a position for you. They lo they've lost the funding. I worked at startups and that was the case too. So because of that, because of that feeling of insecurity and vulnerability, um, I've realized that I really need to be able to iterate pretty quickly and figure it out for myself. And again, that whole, you know, where does the confidence come from? The confidence comes from the failure, right? Like you lose your job, there's nowhere lower to go. <laughs> and so you need to sort of figure it out for yourself. Um, so the origin of, of Fearless and Free is really coming from my own personal experience. Uh, I was working at Gray Advertising, which is a sort of a random place for me to have been, but they were creating this new content shop there and they brought me in and I was I a hear it's really intense there. Is that true? It, really intense. intense. I mean, they're, I actually really loved it. And funny enough, you know, they had been my client when I worked in PR and I was very close to the um, chief creative officer uh, who's now over at Apple, and he's amazing. And I was really close with their president of North America. His name is Michael Houston. He's amazing. And they brought me in. But ultimately, they couldn't pay a salary after six months. And so it was completely amicable. 
but I lost my job. And I started thinking, well, I need to get another job. And I started looking at all these bright and shiny startups in New York City thinking, this is where I need to be. My background is journalism. Traditional journalism is on life support. I need to get into one of these like hot new social shops. And wherever I interviewed, it was over the period of like about six months or so. I was interviewing with people who, you know, had graduated from college in 2008, 2009, and they were significantly younger than me. By the way, in 2008, I had a six-year-old. So, you know, I mean, to me, 2008 was just a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I would tell them about what I thought was, you know, a really interesting background and Capitol Hill and doing all these things. And they just couldn't really make sense of my background. And I realized I needed to hone my story differently. I needed to sell myself differently. I needed to rebrand. And I, you know, instead of being completely depressed, I thought, well, you know, uh, l let me look to see, you know, what's working out there. And of course, it's, I turned to Silicon Valley because I feel like they are truly our cultural crush these days. They guide everything that we do in the workplace and how we interact and how we get our news and entertainment. And I was particularly interested in their concept of embracing failure, right? There's like a true failure failure fetish that comes out of the startup world. And so I, I started looking at that and thinking, well, what if women could be better at embracing failure? Um, I started looking at other themes also, engineering serendipity, and of course, networking, um, and branding, and all these different things that come out of that startup spirit. And that was really became the essence of fearless and free, you know, because I personally needed to figure out what my next move was going to be and how I was going to sell myself. And I was over 40 years old, you know, in, in, a, in the media industry, you know, that feels ancient these days. So if I was ever going to get a job again, I needed to uh, figure out what I could do. What were those successful themes and lessons and what, what could be done um, to make sure that I stayed relevant? Yes. Well, you brought up an interesting concept, which we, we use this word uh, all the time, branding, you know, personal brand. And I feel maybe 10 years ago, we didn't, no one, not everyone thought that it applied to them. But I think these days, the, the sooner you accept that, you know, whether you work at a nine to five, you work for yourself or you're not working at the time, you have a personal brand. How do you advise people to cultivate that personal brand and also to promote it and, and not seem like they're being too self-promotional. You know, I, I love that you're asking this because this is also a true um, shift, a generational shift, because I feel like millennials and certainly the Gen Yers coming up, they already have a brand and they, they are okay with the self-promotion because they're digital, digital natives. They're so used to sort of having their personal avatars out there and cultivating their image on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or wherever they may be living. Whereas the Gen Xers and certainly baby boomers have a much harder problem with that self-promotion. We have been told that it's, you know, not, it's just not nice to promote. <laughs> you don't want to be boasting. You know, bragging is not okay. And yet it's so critical to making sure that you're staying on someone's radar, that people know what you do. So yeah, everyone needs an elevator pitch. You need to really be able to explain what you do in a sentence, in a phrase. And 
so you can be top of mind for someone. So someone knows what you do. And I've realized with my own with my own career pivots that often people didn't know exactly what it was that I did or what my superpower was or what my specialty was because I have done so many different things. So how do you explain it in a nutshell, aside from the fact that I would use a term like, oh, I'm a modern multi-hyphenate. Well, well that's <laughs> not going to help me get a job. <laughs> no one knows what that means. You know, it's sort of funny, but, you know... So what is it exactly? And one of the things I've realized is that so many of us, particularly today with everyone having a side hustle and having all these other things that they're working on, that actually people do do five or 10 different things. But when you're talking to, you know, one person, you need to sort of pick a lane and say, this is what I do, particularly if you're looking to get a job, you know, in this industry, you know, so you can alter what it is that you do really well, depending on who you're talking to, but you need to hone it and you need to be able to let people know what it is that you do. Put it out there on social. You know, let people know if you're writing articles, if you're appearing on TV or at conferences or on the radio. Or, you know, my friend who's an interior designer who has a thriving business, she posts her photos all of the time on Instagram and Facebook. She She's on House. She's on these websites that, you know, give her a lot of credibility. And so depending on what industry you're in, let people know where your successes are, because that's how they're going to think of you. They will think of you with an image. They will think of you because they saw something or heard something. Really, really important to not be flying below the radar these days, to be okay with self-promotion and to know that, you know, without it, you you just may, you know, you may not have a, as big a career as, as you should. Yes. I mean, I think there's so much value in sharing your skills online and doing it in a passionate and authentic way. I don't think can be ever considered as bragging or um, self-righteous. I think uh, those are the people we want to follow because we we want to emulate them and we respect their work. So I think, um, yeah, there's definitely a right way to do it. Let's talk about money, Wendy. You know, as you have transitioned a number of times you said you're pirouetting <laughs> throughout your career. And so tell us after all these years, what is your money philosophy? If you have a personal money mantra? Uh, you know what? I think that, yeah, money is just such a sensitive issue for so many of us. Um, I grew up with not a lot of money and always feeling like I needed to make sure I could take care of myself, feeling financially vulnerable. And if there's one thing that I've promised myself this year, it's to make money. <laughs> it's, you know, I think that the idea that you do something that you love and the money will come, that's not necessarily true. And I think that some people fall into industries where there are huge financial returns and what you do for a living has a lot of value in the market. And for many other people, particularly people in the creative world, um, you have to figure out how to be strategic about getting paid what you deserve. Um, one of the things that I've struggled with over the past, I would say, five years or so um, is that content and what I do for a living, you know, as a content creator, or as a writer, or as a um, filmmaker, though that work in entertainment and in media and in publishing has really been devalued. And people want content so cheaply now that so many of us can't really make the kind of money that at this point in our careers and with our experience, we should be earning. So the struggle with money is real. 
it's been real for me. And I'm trying to be a lot more creative and entrepreneurial about how I should go about leveraging my skill set and taking it to places where there, not just that there's value in what I do, because I think there's, you know, I could, Time Magazine wants my articles for free right now, but looking to places that have the resources to pay for the content that I'm delivering. So I'm really looking in, looking to places that I hadn't thought of otherwise, like financial services, um, consulting firms, different areas that will pay writers or media strategists or content strategists, you, you name the term, in ways that uh, traditional publishing just won't do anymore. It's ironic, right? When you have Time Magazine knocking on your door, that's not actually where the budgets are. <laughs> it's, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. It's shocking and it's horrifying. And in fact, I want to write a piece about this. I mean, I love the Huffington Post and Ariana Huffington is clearly, you know, a, a huge role model in, in our world of women and, and so respected. But at the same time, I just really blame that model for destroying the livelihoods of so many writers, including so many women, because everything is now free. And uh, it's just it's just sort of shocking to me how you could spend 15 hours writing a piece that, by the way, they're advertising against and they won't pay you for it. Right. I think there's definitely an article, a book. uh, There's a lot of information that we could gather to help those who are coming up right now in the world of news, or even those who are like you have transitioned or are planning to transition, where's the money? <laughs> where's the money? Where are that's the budget? Exactly, that's exactly right. And, you know, I've been feeling more empowered by surrounding myself with women. I'm part of a female network and a listserv of very, you know, influential and powerful women. And, and one of those women is a, name, a woman named Cindy Gallup, who a lot of people know. She's a very big deal in the advertising world. And she's really about, you know, Owning your value and really getting what you deserve, and she has she'll she'll say when you when you're you know asking her how much should I ask for for this speaking event or for this project, and she said ask for I'm going to paraphrase this and I'm going to screw it up, but ask for as much money as you can without laughing, <laughs> and I just think that's like yeah. the best piece of advice ever. Put yourself in a position where you value yourself so highly you could actually say that number out loud without laughing. <laughs> or you know what I tell some of my, I sponsor some women and I say to them, add a zero to whatever you were thinking, add a zero to the end of that number. Because in if you're not experienced and you really don't know, you really don't know. And I know right. now that um, I know where the budgets are. I can probably smell where the money is. At this point, I've been doing my thing for 15 years now. And I know that when a nonprofit approaches me versus a big corporation versus, you know, an editorial brand, there, I have to recalibrate my expectations. That said, I had a very, very, very rich company approach me for a speaking engagement not too long ago, shocked to discover that they do not pay their speakers. And, uh, sounds like Shmamazon. Right. <laughs> Um, and they wanted me to fly out to Amazon, Uh Uh which is not very close. Last time I checked from New York city out in, in, you know, uh, Seattle, I'm like, love you guys, but I really can't find the ROI on this. 
Right. Uh, it's, it's very frustrating. And so, you know, my mantra this year is I just want to make money. I want to make mm-hmm. money. And, and you no know, shame in that. Just there's no yeah. shame. There's no shame in that. I want to ask for what I deserve. I've always been very squeamish. And it's, you know, it's funny. I write an, a book called Fearless and Free, and I can be very confident about you know, writing a book and, and public speaking and um, interviewing and doing all of these different things. But when it comes to putting a number on what I should be paid for a project, I think that I undersell myself. And I think it's a, a lot of women do. And yeah, I love your idea about put a zero on it, put a zero at the end of it, mm-hmm. or do something or, or have a multiple of two or three or something in your mind just to feel more empowered and when you start doing that, and when you have the luxury to be able to say no, that to me is true power. And if they really want you, they're not going to laugh at the number. They might pause and they'll come back with something uh, to counter it. And it'll still probably be higher than you initially would have pitched yourself to earn. So it's there's. I think you're right. And I think it was Leah Goldman who is now at uh, Lifetime, formerly right. of Forbes and Refinery29. She was on the show and she said, whenever you're asking for a salary or a raise, um, ask for 20% more than what you want to make because you need right. that wiggle room to negotiate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You know, I do think it's just hard to know because because I feel like digital has so disrupted disrupted the workforce and in so many different industries that knowing where and what you had said, knowing where the money is, being able to sniff it out is really important. And it's a skill and it's um, something that, yeah, I think is really important to all the women coming up. Know where, know where you're going to have a career that can pay you what you want to be paid and what you're looking to be paid because it's not in some of the areas that may seem very sexy and very bright and shiny. And you know, maybe you want to reach tool, not that we're all in it for the money, but to to have our eyes wide open about it, I think in a way that maybe men do that better. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's it comes down to also knowing what your deal breakers are, uh, elevating your standards for that project, that job, that work environment. Like when after I had my first child, um, maybe prior to that, I would have flown anywhere for a gig because I was still building my brand and I wanted to get the experience. And it wasn't so much about the money. But now when I have a child and now two kids, it's like, I only have so much time, right? And so everything has to count, not just financially, but it has to be more meaningful to me than it ever was to, oh, to take sure. on an opportunity. So thinking about it in those terms too is important. Yeah, well, I think that motherhood reframes all of it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you really do start being a lot more, you know, picky, choosy, aware of what you're doing because your time is so valuable. And knowing that particularly if you're flying to Seattle, and that means not just one night away, but probably two. And if you're nursing, you know, how are you doing all of that, right? So there needs to be a really strong reason to whether it's financial or whether it's brand building or whether it's because you're going to be in the right room with the right people, you know, that it becomes very meaningful. So lastly, Oprah Magazine featured your book, uh, called it a must read. And uh, I'm so happy that uh, they did that. And, you know, I write for them monthly as well. And coincidentally, my most recent piece for the magazine has a little bit to do with what you talk about, this idea of how to quit your job and not necessarily have another one lined up. But, you know, when is it a good time to do this? When do you know 
you can quote unquote safely do this if there's ever, if that even is a reality. Um, and then how to pivot from there. Um, and one of the things obviously that I had to address was the financial ramifications of quitting without another job lined up. And so what's your advice to women who want to pivot and they may not have that next paying gig ready at, at the ready? How do they make it work? And how do they know they're ready to make that leap financially? Well, I think that can definitely be a very scary situation. I mean, if you don't have a financial safety net to, you know, pay your rent, you know, for the next few months while you're looking for something else, it may not be the wisest move. You know, I think there's a lot of conversation about having the side hustle these days where you're testing things out. You're you're seeing if if what you want to do is financially viable, can you make it into a real job or is it really just a passion project? Um, but you could dip your toe in and I definitely support the idea that you start making a move and you try to figure it out. And maybe it's during together a bunch of freelance projects that can sustain you knowing what your monthly nut is. I know that for me, I know that each month I need to make X amount of money because I have, you know, bills to pay and braces to put on my children and, you know, different, different, you know, things that have to happen each month. So whenever I'm making a move, I'm looking to figure out how I'm going to be able to support that. And for me, it is often picking up extra projects on the side to make sure I can support what I'm doing. Doing, as I'm also still pivoting into something else. And funny enough, I'm actually doing that right now. Even though I'm on a book tour and I'm promoting this book and I'm being very aggressive and I'm traveling around the country, that doesn't pay money. Um, so, But I still need to make some money. So I have picked up some other projects that are in the, you know, in the world that I live in, um, in the media and the content space. And so I do that on the side as I then figure out, you know, where am I going to land next? It's, you know, I very much have lived the themes of this book. It's definitely not a memoir, but I put myself in there. But I'm very much living what I, what I write about. And I'm figuring out my next move right now. And so... So, uh, but as I, as I do that, I'm also getting compensated for the work that I can do on the side because, you know, that's the reality for so many of us. If we're not supported by parents or a partner or spouse, you're going to need to make some money. So you want to be, you want to be smart and strategic about it. You are hustling personified, Wendy. (laughs) It's all about the hustle. Yes. It's all about the hustle with the capital H. Wendy, thank you so much. Everyone, the book is Fearless and Free, How Smart Women Pivot and Relaunch Their Careers. And we look forward to seeing your next move. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed being on your show. Thank you so much, Wendy Sachs, for coming on the show. If you'd like to learn more about Wendy, her website is Wendy Sachs. That's S-A-C-H-S dot com. And she's on Twitter at W Sachs. All this and more at somoneypodcast.com. You can download the transcript, listen to the audio, and also leave me your burning money questions. Every Friday, I answer your financial questions on Ask Farnoosh on a special episode of So Money called Ask Farnoosh. I'm sure you've heard of it. I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. So money.